the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. What can you do to achieve a fulfilling life, one with purpose and direction? For years, Dr. John Demartini has taught countless people how to be the master of their destiny. According to Dr. Demartini, it's not what happens to you in life. It's how you perceive it, what you decide to do with it, and how you act upon it. Dr. Demartini is a human behavior specialist, researcher, best-selling author, and founder of the Demartini Method, a revolutionary tool in modern psychology. He's authored 40 books that have been translated into 39 different languages. Dr. Demartini's new book is The Seven Secret Treasures, A Transformational Blueprint for a Well-Lived Life. Welcome, Dr. Demartini. Thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you. I'm, I'm the one appreciative. Thank you. So, Doctor, most people will tell you that they want to live a great life. What does that mean to you, to live a great life? Well, every human being, regardless of age or culture or gender spectrum, has a set of priorities, a set of values, things that are most to least important in their life that are unique, like a fingerprint. And whatever's highest on that list of values is what they intrinsically feel called that they want to fulfill. And pursuing that and giving themselves permission to go and pursue what's truly meaningful to them is the key to a fulfilling life. Many people compare themselves to others, minimize themselves sometimes to people they put on pedestals, inject other people's values, cloud the clarity of what's really important to them, and then scatter themselves and try to be second at being somebody else instead of first at being who they are. A fulfilled life comes from being authentic to who you are, living by priority, saying no to things that are distractions, and giving yourself permission to go and do something meaningful that makes a difference and serves people so it can be remunerated with the fulfillment of what it takes to make a difference in the world. You say that every individual lives by a set of priorities or values. Do you believe that most of us don't live in alignment with those values? Is that why so many people are unhappy? Well, you said it beautifully. What happens is they have a set of values. Every one of their perceptions, decisions, and actions are based on it. They're filtering their reality, making decisions according to what they think will give them the greatest advantage or disadvantage at any moment, and they're taking actions accordingly. But what happens is they run into people in a ball, possibly, or in their life, that they put on a pedestal. And the moment they minimize themselves to somebody they exaggerate, they cloud the clarity of their own and then think they want to do something like these people. And they want to be, they envy and imitate other people and then lose track of who they are. And even though they're actually living according to their values, they're not appreciating it because they're trying to be somebody they're not and they have an internal conflict. And this ends up making you self-depreciate and thinking you're making mistakes and what's wrong with me? Why do I sabotage? And all these limited beliefs. And those are basically because you're trying to be somebody you're not, even though you're actually living according to what you value. So it's, it's being aware of what's really important and not being confused by outside influences trying to fit in instead of giving yourself permission to stand out uniquely as your own self. Why do you think we do this? Does it come from our subconscious programming as a child, or are we just not knowing who we are? Are we insecure in who we are? Well, that's a great question, and a little of all that. But way back, probably thousands of years ago, or hundreds of thousands of years ago, uh, as we were individuals, 
wandering around, we probably didn't do as well as when we were gathered together in a group. We could defend ourselves against things and protect ourselves. So we have a built-in, in our subconscious mind, a built-in impulse instinct amygdala response to make sure that we don't get rejected, abandoned, you know, and, and exiled from the group. And that's a very challenging thing for many people to stand out. You know, there's an old proverb that says, I'd rather have the whole world against me than my own soul. But many people are afraid of being rejected, and so they want to fit in. And the second they do, they lose their identity sometimes. And this is part of what's making it confusing for people. And then they end up trying to please too many people on the outside in many areas of their life. Instead of actually being able to gracefully, tactfully communicate what their priorities are in a way that other people win. When you do something that you can't wait to get up in the morning and do, people can't wait to get the service that you can provide. And if you can state it in such a way where people win, they'll encourage you to go and be yourself instead of trying to fit you into what their projections are. Everybody around you is getting up in the morning and dedicating their life to what's important to them, and they're projecting that onto you and trying to get you to fit into what they think is needed. And that's a very challenging, distracting setting for most people to try to navigate through. But having the courage to be yourself is very, very empowering and is the key to a fulfilled life. You know, as you're talking about that, all that I keep thinking about it, all the times that I've stepped out in my life and how many people are are there ready to attack you and, and put you down and tell you all the reasons why you can't do something and shouldn't do something. And so if somebody has this desire to step out from the pack, to be the individual and live authentically, but they're they're constantly being shut down and knocked down. How do you stay strong and, and get through that? Well, if you're living consciously, identifying what's really, really, really valuable to you is a starting point. That's why on my website, I, I try to you know, inspire people to go to this and do a, a little questionnaire. It's like 13 questions. It can help you look at what your life is demonstrating important to you, not what you fantasize about. And then structuring your life around that gives you more courage. People know that when they have a full day that's filled with an agenda, it's easy to say no to people. But when they don't and they have idle time, they're vulnerable. So if you fill your day with high-priority actions that inspire you, your day doesn't fill up with low-priority distractions that don't. And you're less vulnerable and you're more able to be tactfully communicated to say, I really appreciate what you're saying, and I'll factor that into my decision. Thank you so much. But right now, I'm, I've got a really a, a tight schedule that I'm trying to accomplish what's really meaningful to me at this moment. And there's many ways of, of saying thank you but no thank you to people gracefully where they back off. But everybody's going to want to try to get people to live in their values. And this is sort of a self-righteous projection that everybody has onto you. And you've you got to be willing to have the tough skin. And the best way to do it is to fill your day with extremely meaningful things that are truly valuable to you and tactfully learn how to communicate. Thank you, but no thank you. You just mentioned a quiz that you have on your website that can help us to do this, but are there other ways that we can learn to determine what our values are? Well, I've been studying values for 45 years, and there's many different methodologies or methods out there, but if you ask people what they value, I've done enough surveys of this to know that they're, they don't, they're not honest with themselves. They, they, they're too influenced by social ideals to be able to look it takes a drone view, an overview, to look at you and look at what your life is really demonstrating, not to fantasize about. And that's why I've created a, a you might say, a 13 question there to help you navigate through that and to make sure that you're looking at what your life really demonstrates. And if the answers are pointing in the same direction, you have a very high probability you're honest. And so it's a, it's a simple exercise, not that hard. It takes about 30 minutes of the time. And they really just fill this exercise out, and it does help them. So I can encourage people to do it. I've got millions of people who have used it, companies, governments, all kind of people have used it. It's a simple tool to help a person, help an individual be more honest with what's really important to them. Because a lot of people are confused. It ask people, how many want to be financially independent? Everybody puts their hand up, but only 1% are really doing it. So I'm not interested in what people say. I'm interested in what their life demonstrates. And there's a big difference for most people. Right, because I could see where we would say that our values are what we think they should be as opposed to what they are. Exactly. If, you're, if you hear yourself inside your head saying, 
I got to do this. I have to do this. I must do this. I should do this. I don't do this. I need to do this. I'm supposed to do this. Those aren't you. Those are injected values of outer authorities that Freud called the superegos that we depend on for fear of rejection of their opinions. And we don't want to be upsetting them. So we inculcate those into our life and confuse ourselves and create a kind of an internal masochistic behavior to ourselves and beat ourselves up when we're not being the way we fantasize. I'm not interested in that. I am absolutely not interested in that in trying to help people navigate mastery in life. We need to find out what their life really demonstrates important. So I had a lady in in London at my signature program, which I give called the Breakthrough Experience, where I help people break through these kind of limitations. And this lady stands up on a second day of the program and she says, I just don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what I what I really want to dedicate my life to and this and that. And I said, nonsense. Your life demonstrates it. Let's take a look at what your life is demonstrating. Let's imagine a drone hovering over your house and look at what you actually do in 24 hours, day after day after day. And I said, what do you do spontaneously that you love doing, that you're inspired to do, that nobody has to remind you to do, that you just keep doing? I don't know. I can't think. I don't know. I'm just not. I said, look carefully. Stop the ranting. Not run the story. Just answer the question. And she says, I'm spending most of my day with my kids. I said, do you love being with your kids? She says, I do. And do you fill your space with your kids? Are they around you most of the time? Yes. And do you spend most of your time on that throughout the day? Yes. And does it energize you to help watch them grow? Yes, they're young children. I said, and when you have money, does most of it go to whatever it takes to help those beautiful children grow? She goes, yes. And is that what you have the most order and organization around? Yes, their agendas and what we do. And is that where you're most disciplined and reliable? Every day. And do you think about and visualize and affirm inside your head about how you want your life? Does it revolve around kids? Because you got me. And you talk to people about your kids most of the time? Is that what you mostly converse about? Yes. And what inspires you? She says, I get tears in my eyes thinking about how they grow and every time they make progress. I said, and your goals, are they mainly around your children? She goes, yes. I said, and when you read anything, is it mostly about children? She goes, you got me. I said, your highest value is your children. The only reason you're not honoring and being clear about what it is is you're comparing yourself to somebody you think has a different set of values. She says, well, that's probable. I said, so who are you comparing yourself to? She says, well, I know this woman that's got this big business, and I think I should be doing it, but I just never get around to doing it, and I'm beating myself up. Why am I not doing it? I said, because your highest values are your children. And she said, but is that enough? And I said, well, look, Rose Kennedy from the Kennedy family, her mission statement, which I have a copy of, is I dedicate my life to raising a family of world leaders. Is it enough for her? They made a difference in the world. She started to cry. And she said, that's all I've ever wanted to do is raise beautiful children. I said, well, then give yourself permission to be here. And she cried and she came and gave me a hug. She said, that's all I've ever wanted to do. I said, okay. I said, it's more than enough. The most magnificent you'll ever be is the true authentic you. Anything less than that is going to end up making you unfulfilled and you're trying to fit in. And you can't be second at being somebody else. You want to be first at being you. And she cried and she was. She went down and wrote out a mission statement of what she wanted to do with her children. And it was clear and it was inspiring. And there were women all over the room crying because they were caught in that same conflict. And men were looking at them and go, I think that's my wife. And it was really interesting to watch people finally give themselves permission to be themselves. How much of a role do you think social media, this, and not just social media, but this 24-hour information jolt that we get, how much does that influence the way we see ourselves and our values? Because you're talking about comparing yourself to other people. And one of the things that I always think about when you look at Facebook, for example, everyone's showing their their A role there. It's the A game. And it's really easy to compare yourself to others and what you should be doing, like this woman was saying, like, it's not enough that I'm a mother, I should have this business because Mary does and, and so forth. So this information that we're constantly being bombarded with, how much does that harm us in, in what you're talking about? Well, I don't want to give any um, external source of why we're not fulfilled in life because I don't find that's a false attribution bias. The the social media can easily be turned off. It's your decision. I don't pay attention to that most of the time. I I go on it and share insights and information that I think will be helpful to people. But that doesn't mean it has to run your life. I would say prioritize what you fill your mind with. Prioritize what you listen to. Prioritize what you read. Prioritize who you hang out with. Prioritize how you spend your money. Take command of your life. You have control of your perception, decisions, and actions. And 
just gossip and information and, and what's going on in everybody's life and comparing yourself like that is the least effective way of mastering lives. So I, I would say select who you're paying attention to on the media. Use the social media to share something that's meaningful, that's productive, that makes a difference in people's life, but not gossip and not comparisons. Because most people, when they put their information on there, like you said, it's not the whole individual. It's just the part they want you to, to see. And you're going to be misleading. And anytime you compare yourself to others instead of compare your actions to what's really important and valuable to you, you're going to end up probably building yourself up with pride or beating yourself with shame and self appreciate or depreciate and miss out on the magnificence of who you are. Because the pride and shame is not the authentic you. The authentic you is an open-hearted individual that cares and wants to contribute. And being true to that is where the power is. So just say no to the social media. Stop letting it run your life. I don't let it run my life. I remember what Gandhi said when I was 18 when I was reading his memoirs. He says, I don't read the newspaper and I don't watch TV. And he says, well, how do you keep up with what's going on? Oh, there's more than enough people that want to tell me that gossip. And most of that is social media and social extremists. And so they distract. They activate the amygdala instead of actually using your executive center to contribute something meaningful. So I'd rather prioritize what I fill my mind with. I'd rather read a great textbook by a great mind and fill my mind with something that will stand the test of time if I want to stand the test of time. I agree with everything you said, but how do we reach our children and our young adults who are so consumed with that type of life? And how do we teach them these important lessons that you're sharing? Well, I think it was Albert Einstein said, the greatest teacher is exemplification. So first, exemplify an inspired, prioritized, well-delegated life. Otherwise, you're going to be basically demonstrating and saying one thing and demonstrating another to the children, which they're not going to pay attention to. The second thing is find out what they spontaneously are loving and engaged by and not judge it and suppress it. Find out what it is and link what you feel will be valuable to them to that. They automatically are spontaneously inspired to do certain things. You find out what it is and link what you know will help them to that by asking how specifically is doing these actions going to help you fulfill what's meaningful to you so they can see how doing the things you know will help them will do it. They'll do it spontaneously. I've trained thousands of mothers and fathers on how to do that, and it's amazing to watch. You know, almost everybody's had a dog probably in their life where they probably peed or pooed on the carpet, you, you spanked them, and you didn't react, and you didn't know what to do, and the dog kept doing it. And then you finally got a dog trainer and showed you how to deal with it. And all of a sudden, the dog was miraculous. And the same thing with children. And I don't mean to put them on the same category as dogs, but there are certain skills that you can, as a parent, master and transform their lives. And they're waiting for it. They want to do something extraordinary with their life. They want to make a difference. And they all already have a set of values. Finding out what it is makes a difference. So I had a, a lady that was... Uh, that attended a seminar in Brisbane, Australia that I was speaking at. And she said, you know, I would like to hire you as a consultant. And I said, okay. And what, what uh, thing do you want me to consult? She says, my son. She was a single mom. She had a 16-year-old son, and he was had his head in a computer all day long. And so she says, and all he does is watch that computer, and I want him to go get a job at McDonald's or something and a paper route. And I said, well, that sounds kind of like 1960s there. And she's uh, you know, living in kind of a dark ages a bit. And the world is on computers and cell phones at the time. So anyway, I went into, and I, I came and I met with his son in his room at the house. And I, I said, your mom's on your case, aren't you? He goes, yeah, she's always on my case. I said, uh, what are you up to? So well, I'm working on designing some software for uh, a video game that I'm designing. And he goes, I said, great, show me what you're up to. And I saw how genius this kid was. I mean, he was like amazing developing and codes. I said, where did you learn all the code? He says, well, I was, I've been inspired by computers since I was young, and I learned it myself. I'm, I guess I, I would call him an autodidactic, a self-learned individual. and just learned how to do all the code. He started studying books on it. And, you know, his mom didn't pay attention to that. So he was designing software and designing games. So after I spent an hour with him and chatted with him, I asked him a bunch of questions, and I came out, and the lady said, well, did you talk some sense to him? Is he going to go out and get a job? And I said, no, I hired him. I hired him. She goes, you hired him? What do you mean you hired him? I said, he's a genius on software. I have a project that needs to be done. I'm going to pay him really good. I'd like him to do this project for me. He was inspired by it. She said, my son? I said, your son's a genius. And she, she came out, and he's like rolling his eyes. And I said, 
he is a genius in software and he knows how to do things. And she was like off his case. She was an accountant and she was making okay money, but she was not making super money and she's single. And all of a sudden he made $45,000 that year doing a project and also picked up two other projects. And I don't know how much he made on those. At the end of it, she said, I had no idea my son was talented in this area. I, I'm illiterate with computers almost. I said, that's why you projected your values onto him and expected him to live in your world instead of honoring his. you got to find out what's inspiring to him, and you got to then add what you know will help him to that and link it. Well, eight years later, I was speaking in Brisbane again, and right in the front row was this lady and her son, eight years later. He's now 24, going on 25. Now, when I started to speak, pardon me for getting choked up, I saw them down there. I came down the steps in the front of the podium, walked down and gave him a hug, right in the middle of my talk. And this little lovely, short little lady, this Italian lady said, my son, the genius, he's ahead of IBM today. He's running the software development with IBM. Can you believe it? I said, because you honored his values and you communicated and understood and respected it, you awakened his genius instead of suppressing it. Now, that's the kind of thing that can happen if you find out what's really, truly engaging. And Dr. Demartini, where can our listeners go to take this test on your website? Just go to drdemartini.com and go to determine your values. You should find it on there. And you'll have to just do a little sign-in, but whatever. But it'll take you 30 minutes. It'll ask you 13 questions. You need to fill it out, and it'll do it electronically for you. And then do a printout, a beautiful printout, and look at what your life is demonstrating important to you, and be honest. And once again, that website is drdemartini.com. Dr. Demartini, thank you so much for joining us. This has really been a fascinating and, you know, I believe a, a really important conversation that can change so many lives. So thank you for being here. Thank you for giving me the opportunity because, you know, you you, you have a platform that makes a difference. And I've, I've got the opportunity to be with you today. So thank you for that. You helped me fulfill my dream. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path. Personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. Joining us for this week's To Your Health is Christine Pendy, Chief Clinical Officer for Behavioral Health Services at Bergen Newbridge Medical Center. Christine is a licensed clinical social worker who joins us today to talk about suicide prevention. Welcome, Christine. Thank you so much for joining us. Joan, thank you so much for having me. Christine, September is Suicide Awareness Month. What are the biggest risk factors for suicide attempts? So, you know, as we're exiting the pandemic and everyone is trying to get back to life as normal, we need to be cognizant that there are those amongst us who are still struggling and who are in need of our attentiveness when they are struggling to know that somebody might need help. The most important thing is for us to be present and for us to not feel that we can't ask those in our lives if they are okay and if they need something privately and that when we have conversations that we don't judge and that we're prepared to listen so we can help them along their journey for health and wellness. Christine, who is more likely to commit suicide, a man or a woman? So, you know, it's a little bit different in terms of likelihood. Men are more likely to be successful if they choose to take their own lives. And the reason for that is because they have greater access to lethal means. Women have a tendency to choose other means and also have a tendency to talk more about what's happening so that others around them may in fact be aware that they are struggling and that perhaps they've seen a red flag. So at the end of the day, it would be more likely men who would be successful, but not necessarily more likely to struggle and have suicidal thought and intent. And what about teen suicides? Are they on the rise? They are. Unfortunately, you know, a second leading cause of death for our youth, for our teens, is our 10 to 24-year-olds. Um, this is, and, and this is more specific in our communities of minorities and color, our black folk, our black children, 
because they have multiple other socioeconomic stressors that go along with some of the, tr the struggles and challenges that our teens have right every day. Uh, right now, our children are struggling with coming back to school and getting back into life and having been exposed to significant social media. And these are factors that are increasing the struggles that our children are having. We have seen greater numbers of the teens, especially our LGBTQ plus teens, who are disproportionately affected by the pandemic and are really experiencing difficulties at this time. Christine, when you work with people who attempted suicide, do you ever find that there's a regret at that attempt? I remember years ago reading, it was an article about people who had survived jumping off of bridges, and they said as soon as they jumped, they had regret. They, they regretted doing it. Do you find that people often regret making that attempt? Absolutely. It is, you know, a very impulsive in the moment, despaired decision that often those who have survived or have been helped prior to are able to talk about. Developing the coping skills necessary to not get to that decision is key to being successful with folks who have suicidal ideation and intent and plans. For those that actually do jump, it is not everyone who regrets if they survive, but many of them do. And it's often because they're now experiencing an additional level of shame. They're now uh, exposed to what has been happening for them. And they now feel the guilt and the remorse of what it potentially could have done to their family members. It adds to some of the experiences of depression and hopelessness and are even greater at risk if they don't develop the healthy coping skills necessary to manage those experiences. Christine, when I started doing this work, I, I this is actually the result of a lot of trauma and loss in my life. And I had spent a lot of time thinking about taking my own life. And it wasn't that I wanted to die. It was that I had no idea how to live. Do you ever hear that from people that they just are so tired that they don't know how to keep moving forward? Of course. It is so difficult to go through the losses that we experience in our life, and clearly you've experienced it, and to not be able to see the end of the tunnel and to feel those feelings of hopelessness and despair and to have those thoughts of it would be better if I wasn't here or people would be um, better off without me or um, no one will notice. What's important is for us to be able to talk to that experience either with friends, families, and our support system, or for us to seek out the necessary services that are available to be able to process those losses and that discussion and develop a new experience so that life returns to meaningfulness. We have all been through losses and we all deal with them in different ways, but we're all the same in that we all need to discuss and process those feelings to be able to return to some semblance of life as we would like to see it. What can loved ones do if they suspect someone may be in trouble? So first and foremost, we need to be able to say to those in our lives that we are here for them, that we are listening, and that we want to hear what they have to say. It is so imperative that we listen and that we do not judge during that moment. Let the person be able to speak what's happening for them and validate that even though you may not understand what they're going through and what their feelings are, that you can listen to them and help them decide what's the next best step for them. Judgment can be very off-putting in moments of despair, and if they occur, they can actually push those feelings further. So you want to be very careful to listen. If someone finds him or herself in that situation, having these feelings and, and trying to make that decision, who should he or she call to get help? So there are a couple of options. Um, nationally, the federal government has rolled out 
888-988, which is the suicide prevention lifeline for those who are struggling in the moment. In addition to calling that number, you can also text and you can chat with a professional so that you can find out where and what and how you can get help in service. Contacting your local mental health provider, um, contacting friends and family to connect you, contacting your health insurance company to find out who can provide this kind of service. All of these are avenues to follow. And also, if our listeners would like to get more information about Christine, you can visit NewBridgeHealth.com. Christine, thank you so much for joining us and for providing such wonderful life-saving information. Joan, thank you. It's always a pleasure. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is WNYF, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Many entrepreneurs believe that in order to grow their business, they must work harder and harder. Today's guest, Curtis Jenkins, believes that many people don't understand the concept of working on the business because they're too busy working in the business. Curtis joins us today to discuss simple steps entrepreneurs can take to realize their professional vision. Curtis is an author, entrepreneur, and project management executive who helps people transform their life through clarity and execution. He is the author of the book, Vision to Reality, Stop Working, Start Living. Welcome, Curtis. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I do appreciate it. Curtis, I love the title of the book, Start Living, because that's something many entrepreneurs don't do. Many people believe that the only way to be successful is to work harder and harder and harder. And you say that we need to learn how to work on the business and not in the business. What does that mean? Yeah, so uh, most of us start off as solopreneurs. Uh, We have this dream of working for ourselves. We don't want to work for someone else. And we have either a good product or a good service, and we get into it, and we love it, and it's our passion. And what happens is you don't realize that you have a finite amount of time and you can't do everything yourself. And so now you find yourself just working, working, working. And then you look up after a few years or maybe many years and you go, you know, I need to start thinking about the next level of how do I either take this business and give it to the next generation or how can I stop working so hard? But you can't find your way out of that. And that's because you've worked in the business for so long, you didn't realize that you need to work on a business. That means whatever you are doing inside the business, it will never grow because it's all centered around the amount of time that you have available. But working on the business is duplicating yourself, creating an ecosystem, creating standards where others can follow. And now you have one, two, three, four, five, maybe even more people that can help you expand your business while you focus on main business criteria. And and to just give you an example, many of us are working so much in the business, we don't understand finances and how to grow the business, what the financial measures mean. So when you are looking, say, to expand, you don't even have your, your house in order, your, your financial house in order to know that these numbers are important for investors or bankers to give you money so that you'll be able to grow the business. So It is doing the day-to-day business yourself and not stepping back and running a business through others. Well, you know, as an entrepreneur, Curtis, I know I fell into that trap when I was starting out. I was working seven days a week, 14, 16-hour days. And I think, you know, for me, and I I think this may be a, a problem for other people as well, and I'd love your take on it. But some of us have this control thing that, you know, no one else can do it as good as we can. And then the other part of it is that, Some of us say, well, I can't afford to bring other people on. So how do we learn to relinquish that control? And when do we know financially it's time to spend that money on those resources? Yeah, that that, nobody can do it better than me. And and control is a big thing. It's funny. um, When I work with entrepreneurs, um, some are so worried that what you're going to do is take their idea and take their business and run with it, that they don't want to uh, provide any information, but they want to help. So they, they fight against themselves. I have never seen, never heard of anybody taking an idea and running with it. I mean, I, I know 
you can talk about things that may have happened in the past, or it may even happen. But for the most part, when people are working with you, they're trying to help you not take your idea. You, you, you have to open up. You have to get yourself in the mindset of trust. And so, well, Curtis, how do I, uh, how do, I do that? How do I gain more employees? So when I talk about my vision to reality, um, there's five steps, visualize, evaluate, calculate, clarify, and realize. The second one, evaluate, is evaluating people, evaluating the people that's in your current business ecosystem. And it's evaluating who can help you get where you want to go. And so you need to partner, if you're not familiar with this, with someone who's going to help you find the right talent. And how do you know which talent you need? Start thinking about the roles and the things that you do, what you can relinquish to someone else. Don't relinquish the things that you're strong at, but primarily things that uh, take up most of your time. And then when you, if you say, well, I don't have the cash for that, build out a plan, build out a financial plan. So that's where calculate comes in as well as clarify and say, when I hit this financial milestone and here's the things I'm going to do to hit that financial milestone, then I'm going to add this resource uh, with these responsibilities and then go from there. And you keep doing that until you grow. Now, one of the things, and I'll give you an example, uh, I had that wanted to grow and they wanted to grow a business that typically grows 1% a year. And they wanted to do this exponential growth. And I said, the only way you can do that is through salespeople. And I gave an example of, hey, if you want to get salespeople, if we can come up with just $130,000, right? So however we do it, we can get four people, one, a sales manager, and we give them a base salary of $40,000. Then we get a commercial salesperson, a residential salesperson, and a government salesperson. In this particular business, they had those legs. And we paid them each $30,000. That's your base salary. That's the $130,000. But you develop sales goals for these for each of these, and you have the sales manager uh, manage these three. Now, if you want to grow really, really big, you're going to need salespeople, and you give them in the incentive because the more that they make, the more that you're making. So that's an example of how you can grow your business and not be the person doing all the work, if you, you know, getting others to do it. Curtis, you just mentioned visualization as one of the keys. How does a business owner go about creating a vision for his or her business? I, I believe that most people think they already have a vision of what that what their business looks like. What I do is challenge that uh, that business leader to talk to me and articulate what that vision looks like. And if we get to the point where we're both seeing the same thing, then I know that they have a vision that they can articulate. So I'll, I'll give you an example. When I, when I meet with uh, business owners, I will ask them, what did they see? Even if I don't use the word vision, what did you see? What did your life look like? And what did your business look like when you wanted to do this? And so it starts off with the conversation around, hey, I wanted to be financially free. I wanted to work for myself. You know, I saw myself um, with this business humming, you know, customers coming in, banging down my door, employees working well. So I said, well, let's let's take that vision and try to hone it, right? How about, uh, you know, what did you see your business five years as it relates to where you are with revenue? Where do you see your business as it relates to the impact that you're going to make on your community? And, and who do you want to work with? Where do you see your business in terms of partnerships? Just different questions to come up with, hey, I want to be X company in this location making X amount of dollars and servicing these customers. And so now if you're able to come up with a vision that people can understand, then let's work towards the goals that uh, support that vision. So if it's X amount of revenue, for example, and, and the example I gave you earlier, let's say commercial, residential, and government, you know, let's say that's 100% of your revenue, we'll, we'll say commercial is going to be 40%, uh, residential will be 30%, and government will be another 30%. Okay, now who's going to get there? And how are we going to get there? And what are the markets we're going we're gonna to do, you know, locations? And so we start lining up the people that we need and and. And then we come up with a plan around 
this is what I do every day to meet this goal. And so um, in order for us to get to that level, a leader has to be able to first articulate a vision and needs to be well-defined. The other thing a vision helps you with is at some point you may be pitching your business because every time we go to these networking events, people say, well, you know, what do you do? Well, you can talk about what you do, but I like to say what the vision is and then take the vision um, and and break it down. So for me, I want to see a world of small business owners who've given their communities, their families, and their legacy the gift of their time, the gift of their financial support, and the gift of their presence. And so with that, you know, everything that I do to help entrepreneurs is to help with that vision. Curtis, do you think that at the root of so many problems that entrepreneurs have, it, it's that they don't really know where they're going. They just start working and start doing, but they're not sure what the destination is. Yeah, I mean, I mean that happens, right? And that's not having a vision. Um, and so that's why we want to point them to that first. Some entrepreneurs are lucky and because they got a great idea and they make money despite themselves. But what happens is if they don't have a good foundation, they can't handle a crisis. But, yeah, I, w- I would say most of the entrepreneurs that I work with that have had my, – my ideal client has already been in business for several years. I, I rarely work with startups. There are a few that I work with, but they've been in business for a while, and they are just trying to get out of the churn. And that's where I come with stop working, start living. Um, I find that um, I have this term that I say people live payroll to payroll. Now, we've heard paycheck to paycheck, but most of the time I'm hearing people just trying to make payroll. That's their goal. Just make payroll. And so it gets less fun to do the job when you have employees and you're just trying to make payroll. Or if you don't have, let's say, an employee base, you're just trying to pay yourself. You find that all that money keeps going back into the business and you're not enjoying that life you thought you had. So you're still working and you're not living. And Curtis, when a business owner follows your advice and they set the vision and and they start to follow the steps that you were describing, what happens in the business? What type of results do you see? I, I think the first result that I see is the aha moment. The aha moment that the simplicity of what I told you and what we're working on is so simple. Why didn't I think of that? And it's because, you know, it's not how you're wired, at least in the beginning. And, and so that's the first, that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is confidence and confidence comes from when you can see a set of milestones that we've created together and you start to see yourself hitting those milestones and you start to see your cash flow uh, work better. You start to see um, improvements in how your people that work for you or even yourself, that comes from um, the planning and hitting the target. And then once you, once you start building on that confidence, it's something like going down a mountain. You, you, it just continues to flow. And even when you deal with snags, you're better equipped to handle them. So. That those are those are some of the things that I start to see, and then it starts to translate into higher revenues and greater profit margins, because now you're able to get more sales, but you're also able to understand what your costs are, and then your profits associated with that. The book is Vision to Reality: Stop Working, Start Living. Curtis, where can our listeners go to get more information about you and your work? Uh, sure. So first of all, I would encourage everyone to go to my website, cljassoc.com. CLJ stands for Curtis Leon Jenkins. And what you'll see there is I have what's called a visionaire scorecard. And so it's a scorecard that allows you to take a test to see where you are on the spectrum of the realization framework experience. And once again, that book is Vision to Reality, Stop Working, Start Living. Curtis, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How does sound and music help restore calm when stress disrupts your peace of mind? Hi, I'm Allison Ayati. I'm a musician, sound practitioner, and the creator of The Sound Life, an app for relaxation and meditation through sound and music. 
Stress is a part of life, but chronic stress resulting in physical, mental, and emotional issues does not have to be a part of your life. You can reverse chronic stress through the relaxation response. Inducing a relaxation response is the Western way to describe the Eastern practice of meditation. Dr. Herbert Benson, a cardiologist, started researching the relaxation response in the 1960s. Through his extensive research, he and his colleagues found many medical conditions were diminished or removed through mind-body techniques, including the relaxation response. Sound meditation is an easy way to activate the relaxation response, largely because the listener does not have to learn a new skill to achieve meditation through relaxation. The sounds and music do it for you by discouraging the sympathetic nervous system's fight-or-flight mechanism and encouraging the parasympathetic nervous system's rest and digest mechanism. Chronic stress may be a part of modern life, but it does not have to be a part of your life. To learn more about sound healing and healing music, go to livingthesoundlife.com. Sound meditation is not a replacement for medical or psychological intervention. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining us today is Emanuela Fasoni, a certified health and life coach who has helped people experience breakthroughs in their health and lives. She's the author of the book, Healing Through Nature's Medicine. Emanuela is here today to discuss the phases of detox. Welcome, Emanuela. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan. I'm so happy to be here with you. Emanuela, anyone who is trying to improve their health and, and well-being has heard about the importance of detoxing our bodies. Do you believe that it's important for us to detox? It is definitely important to keep your detoxification system healthy and running efficiently. Can you tell us about detoxing? What is this really all about? The first stage of repairing and healing the body is detoxification which is a natural expression of the body when something healthy or therapeutic is introduced into the body, which allows it to catch up with its new healing and cleansing priority, which it didn't have the energy to do before. So for example, let's just say you introduce a superfood like microorganic algae or mushrooms that are full of nutrients. The body will use these nutrients to build up energy to clean the body which is which is what detoxification is really all about. It's getting rid of the waste and toxins that are sometimes lodged in the cells. So it's really important when you think about everything we take into our body with the environmental toxins and chemicals in the home and uh, preservatives in the food, our body can get overwhelmed. So like you said, we need to get into the habit of cleaning it out. Absolutely agreed. There are actually two stages that happen with detoxification. And the first stage is where the body will use nutrients from superfoods to render harmful substances in the body harmless. For example, let's just say somebody used steroids for a lengthy period of time. These harmful substances, they don't wash away in the body. They actually lodge themselves in fat cells and can cause negative symptoms in the future. The second phase of detox is the body will eliminate or break down harmful substances such as waste that may be accumulated, for example, in the colon, or it may get rid of an addictive substance that perhaps an alcoholic may have created dependency to. Is it true when a person detoxes, you may have some uncomfortable symptoms like maybe um, some diarrhea or headaches? Are those good things to have happen? Yes, absolutely. It is depending on how chronic something is in your body, that will determine how lengthy the healing process will be and also detox. So it can sometimes feel uncomfortable once detoxification response is initiated, but usually it passes after a few days. So I'll give you an example of this. If the liver is the organ that needs detoxification, the body will route the elimination toxins through the skin. This is the reason why someone may experience a skin rash, or let's just say in my case, the toxins were in my adrenal glands which was actually my thyroid. One of the feelings that I kept feeling 
until I felt I started to regain my energy was feeling extremely tired. This is a stage, an initial stage of detoxification. So a general rule during the initial stages of detoxification, it's really common to experience a 24-hour fever, diarrhea, sleepiness, itchiness. Most detoxification symptoms are mild and brief, but sometimes they can be annoying and unpleasant. They may even include pain, which is a sure sign that reconstructing is going on in your body. That's really interesting because the things that you just described, it's almost like you said, a person who's detoxing from alcohol or drugs. Yes, absolutely. And that does happen when you are cleaning the body out. Just eliminating some of the the things that are harming our body, like sugars or, or getting rid of whatever toxins we're able to eliminate. Just doing that, will that detox the body by itself or do we need to add things in as well? We do need to add specific foods in our our diet because it is great that we stop adding in these sugars and the harmful substances and the smoking, but now the body needs nutrients. the, The human body is made to be able to detoxify itself. If it's given a healthy internal environment that it really needs to get the job done. Emanuela, thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about Emanuela and her work, you can visit embodyvitality.net. Or as always, to hear more from Emanuela, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Emanuela. joining us, I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.